0: Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 11. Brethren, let us hear God's holy word. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen. Amen. I trust the Lord will bless the reading of His infallible word to our souls this evening. Well, brethren, we are studying the doctrine of preservation and perseverance. The last of what we call the doctrine of grace. I prefer to use the singular. There are many that say the doctrines of grace. That's fine, but we, uh, they are a unit, and I see them all as the... Doctrine of grace, God's grace in saving sinners. And we are at uh, what uh, we might call the Grand Central Station doctrine of all of them. They all unite in the preservation and the perseverance of God's dear saints. And I trust those of you that have been with us have been able to see that that's exactly where this is going. That many of the passages that we've looked at under different doctrines, whether it be radical depravity or or the issues of uh, God's uh, foreordaining and predestination, uh, any of the doctrines that uh, ultimately uh, make up the doctrine of grace, they're all coming together now as we see this important doctrine of preservation and perseverance. And we are considering right now the four pillars upon which this doctrine rests. Now, when I say that, I certainly don't intend Uh, to give you the impression that those are the only pillars upon which this doctrine rests, but I see them as the primary uh, building blocks, the primary columns holding up this important doctrine. Thus far, we have seen that two of these uh, pillars are uh, preservation and perseverance flow from the immutability of God's nature, His purpose, and His promises. Then... Uh, In our last study, we saw that preservation and perseverance flow from the mediation of Jesus Christ. As our prophet and our priest and our king, his work secures our preservation. He preserves us. This is why we persevere. And then this evening we will take up that preservation and perseverance flow from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit... In Paul's remarkable epistle to the Romans, which throughout the ages has been a favorite uh, portion of Scripture for the Lord's children, and especially Romans chapter 8, because it is filled with such glorious uh, triumph and victory for God's children, verse 11 is important in our study this evening because of this very issue, the indwelling of the Spirit. Paul says, If the Spirit of Him that raised Up, Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. This is biblical language. God's Spirit dwells in His people. Not some of them. All of them. This is God's eternal purpose. This is God's promise, as we're going to see this evening. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit is for every child of God. That is why they will persevere. And it is exactly this that we find in this particular verse. While the subject is our personal resurrection, because of Christ's resurrection, it points to an important fact for us. Notice, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell abides in you, lives within you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall, he doesn't say might, hopes to, probably will, ought to, he says he will, he shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, each and every individual who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit will be resurrected by the power of God through His Spirit. The indwelling Spirit is why God's children persevere. So that's our point this evening, and we want to follow this thought through the Scriptures. And of course, it is a vast subject. We're, uh, again, only taking a bird's eye view of these things here this evening. Uh, This in itself is a wonderful and encouraging study, and one that uh, uh, just one study doesn't really scratch the surface of, but I trust it will at least encourage your own heart to consider this in greater detail in your own studies. So, Christ's mediation and intercession, which we studied last week, takes away all that keeps us from God. As prophet, He informs us of the truth and the way of righteousness, the way of life by faith in Him and in His glorious atonement and in his intercession for us as our priest he takes away all that stood between us and the living God as our Lord as our King he guides us in the paths of righteousness in other words as I've just said his mediation and intercession take away all that keep us from God the gift of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the third person of the Holy Trinity here gives us all we need to stay in fellowship with God. God the Father purposes this salvation. Jesus Christ accomplishes this salvation. The Holy Spirit applies this salvation. We've said that all the way through our study, but now I trust you're beginning to see how that all works together. We're not simply giving you a snappy or a clever summary, but we're in fact stating in very clear terms what the scriptures, taken as a whole, teach us. God has purposed, God the Father has purposed our salvation, Christ the Son has accomplished our salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. This is why we persevere. So tonight we want to consider three things uh, regarding this indwelling of the Spirit. The title this evening is His Spirit that dwelleth in you. His Spirit that dwelleth in you. First, we want to consider the promise of the Spirit's indwelling. Secondly, we want to look at the nature of the Spirit's indwelling. And finally, we want to look at the results the results of the Spirit's indwelling. So God being our helper, let's take up this first thought, the promise of the Spirit's indwelling. Now there are direct and indirect references to the Holy Spirit's indwelling throughout the Scripture. We're only going to look at a few this evening. But the first thing that we want to lay hold of is that the indwelling of the Spirit is the promise of God. The God who cannot lie the God who has uh, purposed a full and free and successful salvation for His people has promised the indwelling, transforming Spirit. Now, this of course is the promise of the new covenant. Now, it's interesting that in the... uh, the Lord's good timing and His uh, scheduling, we have looked at several of the promises of the New Covenant in our uh, messages in 1 John. But we come back to this because it is vital for us to understand what it means to be Christ's children, what He has purposed for us, what it means when He says, this cup is the New Covenant in my blood. He purchased us, and He not only purchased for us a redemption by washing away our sins, He not only purchased a glorious and perfect righteousness for us in His life and in His death, but part of that, uh, the unfolding of that glorious purpose is the purchase of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to consider right now. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, a passage that we have looked at a few times in the last year or so, and one that we will always make reference to regularly. It's foundational to what we are as Christians and what we believe. It says, Behold the days come, saith the Lord. And brethren, when we hear that, that is the the assurance that it is going to come to pass. God has said it will happen. Behold, the days come. It is certain, infallibly sure, that this will come to pass, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Which my covenant they break, although I was in husband unto them, saith the Lord. All right. There is unity in the glorious purpose of God and in the unfolding of his covenants, but there is also discontinuity, and we have an instance of that here, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. Now, what was what's one of the ways, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this just for our purposes this evening, what's one of the ways that it's not like that covenant. They broke that covenant. Which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law... "...in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be My people." Notice covenant language. All through the Old Testament, the Lord says, "...I will be their God, they shall be My people." That is the very essence of our covenant relationship in any of God's uh, people in any age. "...I will be their God, they will be My people." This isn't simply the language of the Old Covenant. It's the language of the New Covenant. He says, in this New Covenant, I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. And what is that directly connected to? Where does this discontinuity take us? Well, they broke my other covenant. My older covenant. He's referring to the Mosaic Covenant. They broke that one. In this New One... I will put My law in their inward parts. The law was in tablets of stone in the Old Covenant. Moses brought, the, brought it down from the mountain. He says, "But I'm going to put My law in their inward parts. That's When that's brought over from the Hebrew into the Greek in the way that it's uh, translated in Hebrews, it says, I'm going to put it in their minds. I'm going to go to the inward parts of them and write it in their hearts. Now, what kind of talk is that? That's very nice talk, but what does it mean that God's going to write it in our hearts? Well, quite obviously, it means that in some way, God is going to do something transforming within His people. God is going to do something that so changes them that the covenant that was broken before... And the law that was cast behind the back of rebellious Israel will now be written in their hearts. And they will love the law of God. They will walk in the law of God. In the Old Covenant, they cast it away. They break it. But in the New Covenant, I'm going to write it indelibly in their inward parts. Brethren, this is speaking at least in part of the glorious Work of the Holy Spirit. This is how God transforms sinners. The people's problem, as we see here, was disobedient. They break, or they broke, the covenant. God's gracious resolution. What is it? I'm going to make a new covenant, and it won't be broken. Why won't they break it? The law will be in their inward parts. They're going to love my law. I will write my law upon their hearts. We see the same thing in another familiar passage to our first John studies, Ezekiel 36. Another promise of the new covenant, verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water on you, and ye shall be clean. That's going to happen. It does happen. It has happened to you if you are God's child today. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Brethren, another way, just as a footnote, of saying salvation is to say that our our idols have been knocked down. They've been cleared out by God the Father. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Now look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. That's a very important uh, possessive pronoun. My spirit. God's going to put His spirit in His people and notice it says, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Alright, once again, what was the people's problem? Well, the people were unclean, hard-hearted, and disobedient. Now, what does the grace of God come to do? Well, it leaves them so they're utterly indistinguishable from the world, They watch the things the world watches. They do the things the world does. The statistics say their marriages fall apart just as much as everybody. No, I'm sorry. That's modern American religion. But biblical Christianity says that I will put my spirit within you and change you. You will walk in my laws. This is what God wants. And he gets it. He doesn't fail. He gets it not by beating us. He gets it not by strong-arming us, but by changing us. He cleanses us. Justification. The blood of Christ. He gives us a new heart. Regeneration. And he puts His Spirit within us and causes us to walk in His ways. Sanctification. That sounds kind of like something we've heard before. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. Is that right? To be conformed to the image of His Son. We're going to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. How does He do that? Whom He did foreknow? He, he predestined. Whom He predestined, He called. And in that is regeneration. Whom He called, whom He also justified. And then finally, He glorifies them. Which includes then, from justification to glorification, our sanctification. Yes. Amen. Now. <clears throat> We hear the same type of language in Ezekiel 11.18. It says, And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart. Notice the word one. Unity. He doesn't say, I'll give them lots of hearts. I will give them one heart. In other words, while he is not taking a cookie cutter, so to speak, and just stamping out these little Christians, He is uniting them. He's uniting them by the transforming power of giving them all a heart that desires the same thing. I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Now, why does he do that? Verse 20 tells us that they may walk in my statutes. What was the problem? The people were disobedient. What was the problem with the old covenant? they break it. They cast His laws behind their back. How will the new covenant be different? God will give them a unified heart to love His ways and to walk in obedience. In other words, the modern notion, and I don't mind saying, brethren, the damnable notion, That they're two kinds of Christians. They're the out on the field Christians and the up in the grandstand Christians. Is a devilish lie. Now, I'm not saying that any and all men who teach that doctrine are of themselves witting accomplices to bad doctrine, but they're drinking from a brackish fountain nonetheless. God doesn't save men to leave some of them watching the rest of them. I will give them one heart and they will walk in My statutes. In other words, if we can take or leave God's commandments, we do not have a heart of flesh. God's people stumbling limited, faulty as they may be, want one thing, and that is to walk with their God. Why? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I will give them in heart of flesh a tender heart that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. And do them. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. That's not, a, that's not a legalistic song, as some would make it. That's simply biblical language. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We have works spoken of negatively and positively. You're not saved by your works, but you're saved unto works. And if those works aren't there, you're not saved. Not because the works save you, but because they're simply the manifestation of life. God's life in men manifests itself in obedience. Because this is His promise. This is what it means to imbibe the new covenant. This is what it means to be part of the new covenant. This is what Jesus Christ purchased for us. With His blood. Not only our justification, but sanctification as well. That indwelling will not cease. We have that promise in Isaiah fifty-nine, twenty-one. As for me, God says, This is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. Whenever you hear that, saith the Lord, brethren, be absolutely certain it will be. As surely as he said, Let there be light, and there was light. When he says, This is my covenant, this is what it is. It will come to pass. It says, My Spirit that is upon thee, and My words which I put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. As you might guess, there are numerous interpretations of this particular passage I think that this covenant is clearly a promise of the Father to the Son regarding His elect. We know that the children of human Christians do not always take the faith of their parents or persevere in it. Whose seed and whose seed seed will absolutely continue without fail. Behold, I and the children Thou hast given Me, says the Lord Jesus. This is why the Spirit and the Word... Now, that's that's an unusual combination in the Old Testament. But that's the very language of the New Covenant. Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. The Lord Jesus, in John 6, stood before His children. It says, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Spirit and word. Spirit and word. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we see this come to pass in the Lord Jesus Christ, brethren. The promises of the new covenant all come when our beloved Redeemer, God's Messiah, came. In His glorious coming, He inaugurated the dawn of the coming glorious consummation of God's sovereign purpose. The new covenant. The last days. Eschatology. The presence of the future. This isn't hokey talk, brethren. For all the the books out there that hype everyone up about the second coming it's a shame that most of the time they don't hype anybody up to holy living as those walking in the kingdom now that's what christ came to do he fulfilled the new covenant he sealed it in his blood and part of that was the pouring out of the spirit matthew chapter 3 verse 11 John the Baptist says, "...I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I." This is the one who was prophesied to come and make straight the paths of the Lord, the way of the Lord. This was his messenger preparing the way. What did he do? He pointed men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, "...I baptize you with water unto repentance." But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He will. He will. This is the Father's promise. This is the Father's purpose. Why do the saints persevere? Because God promised to give His Spirit. And that came in the glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Christ Himself said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Give the Holy Spirit. There was the promise that I will pour out My Spirit water upon the dry ground. I'll do that. Now that time has arrived. And the Lord Jesus is saying, hear me, if you know how to be fathers, and if you, in your wickedness, can give good gifts, oh, come to the good Father and get that best of all gifts. Have His Spirit. Ask Him. He's happy to give you that. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith He, and that's the Lord Jesus, Ye have heard of Me. Ye have heard of Me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Do you see the connection? Is this beginning to make a picture? God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. What's the problem? People don't obey. My old covenant, they took and they break it. They cast it behind their back. But I'm going to make a new covenant that they won't break. And here's the key. I'm going to do an inner transformation and give them the abiding of My Spirit. John the Baptist said, It's coming. I'm baptizing you under repentance in water. But the one coming, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus says, Ask your Father. He will give it to you. And now He says, After His resurrection and just prior to His ascension, He says to His beloved disciples, This is what John was talking about. He indeed baptized you with water. But you go into the city and you wait for the Father's promise because it's coming. Absolutely certain. And it came, brethren, that swept 3,000 people right into the body of Christ. 3,000 people. They were baptized for the remission of sins. And what happened? They received the gift. Of the Holy Ghost. That brings us to the nature. The nature of the Spirit's indwelling. God promised. Now what's this indwelling like? Well, first of all, the indwelling of the Spirit is God's living, resurrecting work. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, your life, if you have been born of God, your life as a new covenant believer does not originate in the flesh. It originates in the Spirit. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwell in you. Dwell in you. This is the promise. And if He does dwell in you, you will be resurrected. That's the clear impact of this passage. Now, you see, this is... This was promised to us by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 6. Just so that you don't think I'm reading too much in here, I'm not reading anything at all. John chapter, uh, I'm not reading anything into it at all. John chapter 6, verse 39 says, And this is the Father's will which hath, hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing. But what does He follow that with? But raise it up at the last day. Raise it up again. Resurrection. This is the Father's will. He sent me. All that He gives me, they're going to come to me. I'm not going to cast any of them out. I'm not going to lose one of them. But I'm going to raise them up at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, a life that doesn't end, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Brethren, when we look at Romans 8 in the, in the, uh, through the spectacles of what the Lord has said right here, This is the commentary on that passage. How is it that they're raised up at the last day? If the Spirit dwells in you. If the Spirit dwells in you. Oh God, help us to walk in this. Help us to understand this. Secondly, the indwelling is God's continuous work. It is a work that continues. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, a verse we looked at a few weeks ago. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is that good work? It is the new birth. Who is the author of the new birth? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit that dwelleth in you. Why is Paul confident that the Philippians will run the course and finish the race? Is it because... Well, you Philippians are a whole lot sharper than the folks at Ephesus. No, that's not it. Everyone in the new covenant will have a new heart and will have a new spirit, God's spirit put within them so that they will walk in God's statute. Christ the prophet informs them and they have a heart to walk in it. Christ the, the, the priest cleanses them by His blood. They believe that. And Christ the King commands them to walk in the ways of God. And they do that. They obey that. Why? Because of the Spirit that dwells in them. He that has begun the work will finish it. Indwelling is God's motivating work. Number three. Philippians chapter 2. Again, another passage we've referred to numerous times in our study of First John. Wherefore, verse 12, My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice, he doesn't say work for your salvation. Work out that which is already your possession. Work it out. You work it out. Isn't that legalism? To command people to obey? No. It's new covenant thinking. It is telling men to do what God has equipped them to do. That's why it says in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Why do we persevere? Because God in His mercy preserves us. It is the promise of the new covenant that there will be a transforming work And we will love His Word. And we will walk in His commandments. We will have a new heart for it. And that's why we go on with Him. Number four, indwelling is Christ's sanctifying work. Two passages briefly. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Now, how can he pray such a thing? Because it's in perfect harmony with the promise of the new covenant. We are made new creatures. We are alive in Christ. We have been cleansed from our filthiness. Our idols have all been washed away. We have been given new tender hearts to walk with our God and a Spirit to empower us to do so. God works within us both to will and to do so we can be commanded to do it while at the same time the Scripture talks about the language of Him doing it. Is, the, is there a schizophrenic side to Scripture? Not at all. The two fit together. In other words, made in the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the new birth and in His sanctifying grace, with a new heart, by spirit and word, I will do what He commands me to do. Because this is what my heart desires. This is what I want to do. If you don't want to walk with God, something is desperately wrong. Now, I didn't say if you're stumbling and having trouble with that desire. All oh, the fact that you're stumbling and struggling and trying to walk with the Lord, likely to be signs of life. It's a battle. It is a struggle. Life is constantly going to be at odds with the flesh. Nonetheless, Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's exactly what the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews prays. And it's something that we may take great confidence in. We don't make it under our own steam. We make it only by the grace of God transforming us in fulfillment to the promise of the new covenant. And we can walk in that way. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. Not just talking about God being faithful in a general sense. Of course He is. But this is the promise of the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. When we come to his table, we take of the bread and of the fruit of the vine. We are looking at what God has promised for us in life eternal in Christ. The application of our salvations through the Spirit's work given to us through the Lord Jesus. Well <clears throat> let me press on quickly and we're about out of time for this evening <clears throat> What are the results of the spirits indwelling What are the results of the spirits indwelling God has promised we've seen the nature of it it is the work of the spirit it is God's spirit it is Christ I mean it is God's work it is Christ's work it is the spirit's work all together bringing the glorious purpose of God to pass, but there's a result of the Spirit's indwelling. And first is union with Christ, Union with Christ. Second Peter chapter one verse four says, "Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, partakers of the divine nature. How is that possible? How can filthy, idol-worshiping sinners ever be partakers of the Holy God? Through the fulfillment of the new covenant promise in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord of glory we are brought into union with our God. And we are made partakers of the divine nature. We're not little gods like some of these fellows teach here today. Oh, we're gods with a little g. This is not what this passage is saying. It says, by our union with Christ through the Spirit that dwelleth in us, we share the same Spirit as Christ. We're partakers. We're not Christ. We're going to be like Him, but we're not Christ. He will always be eternal, infinitely holy God. But we're partakers of that glorious nature through the work of the indwelling Spirit. It is a union with the Most High This was Christ's desire. This is what He prayed for us in John chapter 17. Our high priest prayed in verse 21 that they all may be one. Now again, He's not just saying this in the sense of well, I'm going to say something nice. I'm going to pray something nice for them. What was the promise of Ezekiel? I will give them one heart. And Jesus as the one who is the mediator of the new covenant about to seal it with His life's blood, praise the glorious promise of the new covenant. I want them to be one. As you and I, Father, are one, what makes them one? They share the same Spirit. And we share in some extraordinary unimaginable way God has condescended to to come in union by the power of His Spirit with weak and feeble vessels of dust like you and me. What a gospel! What good news we have in Christ! that they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us. Well, this is illustrated many ways, and we don't really have time to look at them tonight. Let me simply mention them in passing. This is illustrated with Christ as the head of the church and we as the members of the body. There's a unity between the head and the body. And that is set out for us in Colossians 1.18. I will simply uh, read Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What's the effectual working in the body of Christ? Is the Spirit of God. How do we know that? Because it's illustrated as a temple. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Brethren, it isn't us that makes this a wonderful meeting tonight. And this is a wonderful meeting. It's not because I'm here, because you're here. It's because the Holy Spirit is here. The Spirit that dwelleth in you makes this God's temple. And we are finally guided by Christ. We're led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they, they are the sons of God. We are illuminated by the Spirit and the Word. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us in God. How will you ever know what you are in Christ? I can assure you, your guessing won't get you there. How will you ever know what promises God has made to you? It will be the Spirit of God illuminating the things He has given you in His Word. Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. I'm going to put my words in your mouth and the Spirit's going to be in you and in your seed and in your seed's seed. I believe that's the Father's wonderful promise to the Son. Why do the saints persevere? Well, our preservation and our perseverance flow from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit works within us, dwelling, bringing us to a glorious consummation of glorification that is, in fact, God's eternal purpose. He's going to make us like Christ. He is doing it daily and He will not fail. This is what He intends to do. This is His sovereign eternal purpose. And those in whom the Spirit dwells will be quickened in their mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in them. Let's pray. O oh, Holy Father, what a feast your word is to us. Father, what an extraordinary purpose you have in saving us. Your Spirit, day by day, draws us to look unto Thee, in repentance and faith, trusting Christ alone as our life. O oh, Lord Jesus, what a good work you have undertaken. What a glorious work you have accomplished on behalf of sinners such as we. How we praise and thank thee for these wonderful truths. Help us to drink deeply of them and to walk in them with all our hearts to the praise and glory of your holy name.
1: Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.